Welcome to The Mend, a podcast about services and support for victims of survivors of crime here in the state of Vermont, as well as throughout the country. This podcast is sponsored by the Center for Crime Victim Services, and my name is Anna Nasset, and I'll be your host of this bi-monthly podcast and show. Today, I am delighted to have Anthony Jackson Miller here to discuss his work as a victim support specialist. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having this me. Yeah, absolutely. This show was created to take a deeper look at services, organizations, and concepts for victims and survivors of crime, as well as community members and organizations. We want to acknowledge our healing and process and provide resources, not only in our state of Vermont, but those that can translate throughout the country for wherever you are listening at. As always, I like to begin with a trigger warning. Our goal is to create a safe place to discuss topics of healing and services, but with that in mind, sometimes we tell stories that might need to have a more discerning ear to listen to. So we always urge you to listen at your own discretion. Um, as I said today, I'm delighted to have Anthony Jackson Miller here. He is a victim services specialist from here in Vermont. Anthony has experience as a mental health and substance use case manager, correctional officer, and deputy sheriff. He currently works for the city of Burlington for the Community Justice Center. His office sits in the Burlington Police Department and he is also part of CAPE, which stands for Community Assistance Intervention and Peacemaking, Peacekeeping Programs. Anthony's role in the, is in the Community Assistance and Intervention, which he does for the Parallel Justice for Victims of Crime Program. His job consists of being a social worker, a victim advocate, a victim liaison, and most of all, a listening ear. Thank you so much for being here today. Great to be here. Um, uh, yeah. Awesome. Let's start off by just getting to know you a little bit better, um, a little bit about your background and how you came to work in the victim service field. All right. Well, I am originally from Connecticut and ended up coming up this way to Vermont to do uh, corrections and saw a lot of the mental health issues, um, correctional, uh, well, a lot of the inmates and folks there that are harmed, um, turned my attentions toward being a mental health substance use case manager. And again, saw the prevalence of folks being harmed. And uh, when I got a chance to work for the city of Burlington, in the program of parallel justice, working with um, victims of crime, victims of harm, and really being able to help with not only restorative justice, but transform transformative justice. Um, that's what I did. So here I am. Awesome. Um, I think most people, I've done some other episodes about uh, restorative justice. Um, can you share with folks what parallel justice is just and what transformative justice is just so they have a better sense? So I guess if you, um, my former coworker, Kim Jordan, as she would always explain it, is two, there's two lines. There's this criminal justice system here. And then there's this, this other system here, which is parallel to that criminal justice system where we in parallel justice, we don't care about what's happening in the criminal uh, lane. Victim-centered focus. What does the victim need? Um, and the beauty of my position, as opposed to many other victim positions, is anywhere in that timeline I can support people. So, 
um, right when the crime happens, all the way till years and years and years later after um, any crime that's happened after July 2006, I can support somebody with. Um, Amazing. Transformative justice um, is different in that instead of working with the victim um, of a specific crime or harm, transformative justice works towards looking at the systems that create that harm and changing them so harm doesn't happen. Awesome, that's the goal. <laughs> yeah, we just, I had um, Karen Tronsgaard Scott on recently from the Vermont Network to discuss their new program, Uplift. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but it's, it's really looking at how do we use transformative justice to create a state and a culture where the harm isn't happening. So very cool program um, that, you know, kind of is in that same vein. Um, so within your work, uh, you wear many hats and are involved in service of victims in the states and also creating change. Um, so can you talk to me about like your various job descriptions? Because I feel like you've got so many within within your, your work day. Um, and how they all interweave together to create better services for victims of crime. So the overarching part of my job is victim services. So um, we've changed my title to victim specialist. And within that, um, part of my job is the parallel justice for victims of crime, um, which essentially any person that's in the city of Burlington, so whether you're passing through, whether you live there as a resident, if you are a victim of crime, you can call me directly, you can go through uh, Burlington Police Department, or I can reach out to you and we can see what happened, what can I do? Um, can I help you replace things? Um, can I help you with updates from officers? Um, I can help take pictures, take statements, um, another portion of what I do is the intervention. So neighbor disputes, stuff that's not really a crime, um, mm -hmm. supporting folks doing that, um, advocacy. While I'm not technically an advocate, we do lots of advocacy with many different systems. Um, there's also our Parallel Justice Commission, which shares a name, but it's completely separate which has many folks in Chittenden County at um, directors, CEOs, um, some notable names. We have the chief of police of Burlington. We have Daniel Levesque, who's a victim specialist um, for DOC. Um, Sarah George, um, state's attorney. Um, and essentially uh, all these folks, they sit down and we bring them stories from victims and we say hey this system broke down it harmed a person and that person can tell their story and then it's up to those folks to say hey this was our role how can we make sure this never happens again awesome account accountability that's great <coughs> that's really important you know to being able to transforming the system is to to have these people be able to take accountability for their actions um i also love that that you're really able, like you were talking about, you know, like helping people document things or be in touch with officers, that type of thing. Um, you know, I think that for myself, I know, like as a victim of crime, so much of it, like I ended up being my own advocate because 
there wasn't those systems in place quite yet. Um, and just what an arduous, difficult time that is when you're already carrying so much trauma to also be like, oh, I have to photograph this and I have to like get in touch with this person and that person. And so it's great that you're able to provide that for people because because, you know, so many times we're just not even in the right mind frame to think of how to do those things. So that's great that you're able to be there. And I also find that it's re even if you're a victim of crime, it's not easy dealing with law enforcement. Um, it just sometimes it can be scary. There's a lot of unknowns. Um, officers really can't or most often can't tell you stuff if it's ongoing investigation. So I think it's good to be able to have an individual that's there that can say, hey, this is a process. This is what could happen. This is what um, probably couldn't happen. And the beauty of the network of folks like myself, we work with so many different people. Um, we work with SVDV advocates, um, state's attorney victim advocates, DOC advocates, disability rights advocates. Um, so we're able to, you know, basically wherever you're at or wherever it's happening for you, we can get the right team around you so that everyone can support someone. Amazing, I love that. That's really cool. Um, and it's great to see just how services are continuing to grow pretty quickly, like, you know, within our field and within this work from, you know, I can, like I said, like I can look at my own experience starting from, 10 years ago versus services that are there now, it's really astounding. It's so great that I just continue to see this push towards a more victim-centered approach because um, that really needs to be the case. So that's awesome. Um, so your office is located in the Burlington Police Department and you are working for the Burlington Community Justice Center. Um, how do you interweave those two places, um, you know, being, an advocate, which sometimes, you know, police officers aren't really wanting to work with. And then on the opposite, you know, going over the justice center coming from the police department, how how have you found that um, that process to work out for you? Um, I, I found it to, um, it can be challenging at times. Um, the unique part about the Burlington Community Justice Center, it's it's separate. So it's it's not beholden to Burlington Police Department. It's within city government, but it's separate. And um, we often work together. Um, they refer us cases, we support them with folks, but we're also autonomous. So being able to sit within BPD, I get all of the knowledge and information that the officers would have but I can use restorative, um, uh, restorative lenses in dealing with folks. And I can help inform other officers and um, how they may go about. Because sometimes in the heat of the moment, we don't always use uh, victim-centered practices. It's get in, handle this, next case. Um, yeah. So being able to scale back and say best practices when dealing with said individual on said thing and also having that common terminology. Um, we often call folks affected party or um, responsible party, not victim or offender. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. And have you found that like within the police department, have they been 
Are they changing because of the work that you're doing and being able to bring those practices? I believe so. Um, again, before I took over the job, um, there was this program, it's 14 years old. Um, there were uh, two individuals before myself who did the work and they built that rapport with BPD. And I think BPD itself has, with having um, victim-centered folks as civilians there, have embraced, you know, okay, there's a different way to do it. This may have been the way we used to go about doing it, but, you know, we don't want to cause further harm. Right. Awesome. <clears throat> That's great. Um, what are some of the, the barriers that you're seeing people face in trying to access services? Um, so victims of crime or affected parties, what are some of the barriers they're facing um, here in our state specifically? And I think that they probably could translate nationally too, but yeah. Oh my goodness, where to start? <laughs> um, I guess the biggest one is funding. Um, a large majority of victim services, whether, and I mean, I could name so many of them. They range from nonprofits to city municipal, all the way up to the federal level, are mostly grant funded. Um, uh, my program, it comes from the Office of Victims, uh, the Office for Victims of Crime. So it's a VOCA grant, Voices and Choices. And we are at the mercy of how much money comes in. So, you know, you could have four victim advocates if there's money, and if there's not, you could have one. <laughs> um, and then there's a the disparity. Um, you know, we in Chittenden County, I can name so many different advocates for so many different things. And then you can go to a place like Memorial County where I mean, there really isn't that many for the size of the county, so. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I'm in Washington County and same. I mean, like Barrie and Montpelier, you'll have some, but not here. Yeah. Um, then there's also distance. Um, if you're in a rural area, um, you're not going to be able to just get up and have that face-to-face. -face. Um, being in Burlington, where we are, a person could hop on a bus. Um, you know, there's many different ways to reach out and support victims. Um, I think another barrier is the idea of a victim, because what if you don't identify as a victim? Mm -hmm. I've called people and I'm like, well, you know, uh, you've been identified as a victim of crime. I don't feel victimized. <laughs> so it's like, oh. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's just, there's so many different issues that come with supporting people, especially when you're based out of a police department. Um, as you may know, with the way that the country is moving um, away from police services and finding other avenues to support people, um, I find that often having to really explain to folks like, yes, my office is in BPD, but I work for the city of Burlington and I'm here to support all people regardless. Um, sometimes like that barrier, like, well, I'll meet you, but not BPD. <laughs> right. So being mobile, being able to meet them wherever they, wherever feels safe for them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So you really have to take every single person and create their own plan specific to their needs. 
But um, I guess if the biggest barrier to supporting folks is when just when people don't know that you exist. Um, there are so many people that I've spoken with that don't know that SVDB services exist, that don't know parallel justice exists, that don't know BPD has a victim advocate. Mm -hmm. So when something happens, their thing is like, if I don't call 911, I'm just going to deal with it myself, which more people know you don't have to. <laughs> We're here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a common misconception is we just we don't realize that there's all those services out there um, until we're in the situation to need them. And even then we often don't know that they're there. And I, I, it, it's, it's a beauty in that parallel justice, one of our unique um, functions that we have a victim's fund. So it's really awesome when, you know, somebody's tires get slashed and they're bummed because they're like, I make minimum wage. I can't afford to replace tires. And we're like, well, we can help reimburse you. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Let's get that receipt, take away the barriers to filling out the application and try to get you uh, reimbursed. At least put some money back in your pockets. Yeah, get you mobile again, whatever it might be. Absolutely. Yeah, and the same with the Center for Crime Victim Service with their restitution units. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, we don't, you know, those are just things that I know I didn't really understand at all until I got into this field of work. Um, and I think are so important for people to understand that there's various forms of assistance out there. I would, I would, I guess one of the things that we try to stress um, for parallel justice is that you don't have to be a victim of crime who reported to police. Um, we don't want having to interact with police being the barrier. You can simply just come to us yourself and say, hey, I was a victim of crime, this happened, we will believe you. We're not going to turn you away um, and we will support you. So. Yes, absolutely. We start by believing. That's number one. So um, one of the things that you had mentioned to me before we we got on this interview um, and writing to each other was talking about geographic justice and equity for services for victims. And we kind of got into this a little bit more. But can you expand upon that for our listeners to understand what geographic justice and equity look like? So um, fortune, fortunately for me, in my travels of um, Vermont, I've been um, fortunate enough to work in the Northeast Kingdom, been fortunate enough to work in Caledonia, um, been fortunate enough to work in Washington County, Lamoille County, and now in Chittenden County. And what we find is that different um, areas in Vermont ha get more funding and more money than others, which allows for different levels of service. Um, parallel justice only exists full-time in Burlington, part-time in uh, South Burlington, and not really much else in Vermont. So um, there are folks that are trying to start their own programs like it, but to be full-time dedicated and do what we do doesn't exist. And then that in itself is, I think, a disservice to this entire state. Um, we have um, victim advocates for VSP, but they don't support financially, but they do amazing everywhere else. We have state victim advocates, but they typically only work with folks if um, the person involved, the offender, um, is charged. Um, DC, DOC advocates 
that only work if the person's under DOC care. And then you have a lot of the nonprofits that do um, SV and DV work. And often their barriers that the person themselves has to reach out. Yeah. So it, it's, there's, depending on where you are, you can have a ton of services like Chittenden County. I mean, there's this endless amount of folks that can you know bounce you around and support you. And you can go to a place like you said, like Washington County or like Northeast County, um, Northeast Kingdom, um, Orleans County, where there's like not anything. Like you just you're a victim and you deal with it, which is, is horrible. Yeah, yeah. Like I was saying earlier, for me, I think I'd have to 45 minutes to access services. And you know, if you're if you don't have transportation or you have any of these other barriers, you just can't. That's not possible. So that's really yeah. Um, what are your thoughts to the threats of sustainability to the work of advocating for victims? And this kind of goes back into the funding, I'm sure, but like, yeah, for kind of the long-term sustainability to continue doing this work and growing this work. I think the threat of it is, is that if we as a state continue to only look at funding these services through grants, um, one, you're going to lose a lot of institutional knowledge because folks who get into this work will find, you know, when that grant runs out that they don't have a job. So they'll go elsewhere and take all that, that passion and energy with them. Uh, and the second being that it, it also, it's, while yes, for the person doing the job, that's, they don't have that job to support people. People who need support don't get it. Um, I think like right now we're going through um, uh, a phase in which we, for a long time, VOCA funding was like funded really well, level funding. And we're looking at like a 35% cut um, to services, which means there are places that may either lose advocates or have to scale back on the services that they're giving. If the services that they're giving are even like full-time services. Right. Um, what I would like to see is the state and municipalities um, start looking at their budgets um, and trying to find ways to fund and support some of these positions um, or work together, um, whether it's as a county to start looking at um, ways that we have supported people before and new ways to combine resources to try to help more people. Awesome. Is that something that you feel like Vermont is starting to look at or? I think um, COVID had a lot to do with that. Um, I think the conversations have happened before, um, but I think more now, now more than ever, as we're starting to see the conversations rise with um, support for LGBTQ folks, um, BIPOC communities, and then with COVID, um, mental health substance use, they're starting to realize like, wait a minute, it's not law enforcement that's dealing with these folks, it's social workers and victim specialists and advocates that are really doing a lot of the connecting and they're really underfunded. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> so. absolutely. Um, how has your work been affected by the pandemic as far as have you seen a change in crime reporting, the type of crimes coming into you, um, 
and your ability to work with people, because I'm guessing it's not as easy to just go to their house and help them or meet them places. Um, I would say that um, in our current state, there's been more of an effort. Um, I am one of the folks that could work from home. I have all the tools available, but I, I travel to Burlington and I'm there at least four days a week um, because that's how you meet folks where they're at. <laughs> where are they? You go to them. You, they shouldn't have to come to you. Right. And it, it's, it's, it's using services. Um, that's the reason why we created CAPE, um, which is the Community Assistance, Intervention, and Peacekeeping Programs. We looked at what services that we had already within BPD. We pooled those folks together, and we are in constant contact with uh, Chittenden County, I can speak for because that's where we work, STEPS to end domestic violence, HOPE works, um, disability rights, and the state victim advocates. And we're always emailing, we're always talking, we're sharing information, we're trying to connect, we're making sure people don't fall through the gaps. We're yeah. finding that people aren't reporting because either their feelings about BPD, them, you know, wanting to stay in because of COVID. Um, sometimes it's just you know, the guilt of like, I don't want to call services. Somebody else is probably in a worse position than me. Um, yeah, and also if there's a barrier of fear, like if they're in a home with somebody who is going to harm them, just that that inability to have your own space and time to be able to make those choices too. And that's I think that's one of the things that we're also looking at when it comes to SV and DV cases um, that we we know that they're happening. <laughs> um, they're always happening, and they, they're usually underreported. And I feel the community feels that they're way underreported now, because how do you make that call if the person who you're experiencing harm, or you're experiencing harm and that person lives with you and you're together all the time, where do you get that space to yourself to make that phone call? And even if you do, then what? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, unless if you're gonna have law enforcement show up and remove that person, you may be in a more dangerous situation. And we're finding that, that that's not happening because the goal is to keep people out of being incarcerated. So now we make you more unsafe. We go in, we respond, and now that person knows that you reported them. So now you're even in more danger. So yeah, um, I think it's just that we need to find more creative ways, more ways to collaborate and let folks know that, you know, if you're experiencing harm, there's help. Um, and we have to find and work together to find ways to support people, even if it means thinking outside of the box. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when working with victims of domestic and sexual violence, how would you envision a future with different choices and offerings of service? Like, you know, what we just talked about, like that doesn't work for a lot of people. So how do you envision a brighter future where we have more choices? Um, I think breaking down the silos, um, I, I fully understand. And I think that's one of the things that we were talking about now was that with funding, grant funding, you're often told that this is what you can do with our funding. And then all of this over here is what you can't do. Right. Um, I think being able to change the language so that way, step, um, again, using Chittenden County, yep. step that domestic violence, hope works, um, parallel justice and the domestic violence advocate, we can all work together and pool resources. 
So if somebody needs something, it doesn't matter what category they fall in. Whoever has resources supports that person. And then we move on from there. Um, we shouldn't, it shouldn't be dependent on the exact need. Um, we should be able to be cross-pollinate, support yeah. whoever needs it with whatever services we have available. Yeah, to really work in a multidisciplinary approach to fully come around and serve these people. Absolutely. Um, so one thing I wanted to hear more about was about CAPE, the, which you mentioned again, the Community Assistance Intervention and Peacekeeping Program. Um, tell me a little bit more about what it is, how it works, and how you see it changing victim and offender response. So it's still in its baby phase. We're still trying to fill it out. Um, I mean, it exists and we could still support people. Um, what we've done is we looked at, instead of looking at it as, again, BPD, um, CJC, we're City of Burlington. What do we do? Who do we support? Um, I consisted of the community affairs officer, the community affairs liaison, domestic violence advocate, myself, and the domestic violence prevention officer due to the defunding um, at BPD, we've lost the community affairs officer. Uh, the goal is when the community service liaisons are uh, hired and brought on, which was passed by city council in Burlington, to bring those into the loop. And when calls come in, um, that don't require police intervention. Um, and even if they're criminal, not all crimes need to be arrested for. Sometimes we can use restorative justice. Yep. But those calls can come to us. And between us, we can try to tackle them. Um, what do they need? How can we support those folks? And then also from there, we don't stop. We continuously check in on them. We aggregate that data. Oh, we find that over the last two months, you know, we've had this many responses from here. Maybe they need more services. Who in the community can get them those services and try to direct them to those services? Awesome. How do you foresee a program like this helping to really change? You know, I mean, for me, it's like, you know, we want to support our victims. We also want to support our offenders so that the crimes stop being committed. So how do you envision programs like this working towards those bigger goals? I think they, they it's gotta be a multifaceted approach. It doesn't mean get rid of law enforcement. Law enforcement still needs to be there. I mean, they, they keep people safe. Um, I, I think, you know, when we talk about a DV situation, how awesome is it if you have a police officer that goes, but then you have an advocate or you have a CSL. So now you go into that house officers working with you know the person who perpetrated the crime but now you have all that free time to talk to that victim and you don't have to bounce between the two and you know that one is being safe while the other is being talked to you can get information you can provide services you can make those contacts you can if need to help make other arrangements and now that victim doesn't have to worry about the trauma of dealing with an officer they can get the same statements and everything from a civilian who can actually give them the attention that they need so the officer can thoroughly deal with the offender. 
and then vice versa. So now that offender, depending on what that crime is, we can look at, do they need to go to the CJC? Are there restorative options in the community? Like what services, is it mental health? Do we need to get them linked up with the designated agency? Is it substance use? Yep. Awesome, awesome. How do you, um, well this time just flew by by the way. <laughs> how do you, I was kind of like, how do you, what do you envision like 20 years from now? What would you like parallel justice, transformative justice? How would you like to see our society here in Vermont have shifted and changed by these practices? What I would like to see is a future in which cities, if they're big enough, like your St. Albans, your Brutlands, Burlington's, or communities like your Memorial and Washington County, um, have departments of public safety. And in those departments of public safety is where you'll house officers, advocates, mental health, substance use. You have folks that are trained to support these tasks along with victim advocates. They're all in this, this one area. So it's like what we do now with healthcare where you can, you know, they're called uh, the feral, forgot the terminology, but it's like you can go see a doctor, then there's a dentist, there's everything in that one spot. You can do right. one-stop shopping where a person can come in and there's everybody there who could support that person and wrap them around so they don't have to jump around and bounce. They don't have to go to Pine Street for something, then go to Main Street for something else, then North Street for something else. Everything's in one area. We can support that person and help them with what they need. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. And really figure out what is the best course of action for, for this person, for their situation, for the person who harmed all of those just in one place um, would be amazing. I want that. <laughs> I, mean, I believe if we, if towns, cities, if they were to really take a second to look at their communities and look at what exists, the conversation would not so much be, oh, we don't have enough money. It's, wait a minute, we have services, we're using them inefficiently. <laughs> um, how do we efficiently use the services, therefore efficiently use the money that were allocated? Like if we did that, it would seamlessly support more people, less folks would be, would want to actually engage and not feel like, well, why would I do it? Nothing's gonna happen. Um, and I think people would stay around a lot longer. It'd be more fulfilling for not only the folks who do the work, but for the, uh, affected parties. Absolutely. Better outcomes. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't continue in this process if you're an affected party. You don't continue in this process to seek justice, whatever that looks like for you, unless if you're being supported. Like, unless if you feel like you're being cared for in some way, otherwise you just give up. Um, I know for myself, like, I was really fortunate over all my years that I have been really well supported by law enforcement and advocates and even my prosecuting attorneys. But if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have continued. And so I think the importance of, you know, that's really an important key is to how we support people on these long-term journeys. Um, yeah, it sounds like what you're proposing is a really, really great way to start to look at that and create systems for that. 
it's I believe that there are pockets around the state that are doing so. Um, I'm hoping that there are some really, really, really smart and passionate people at the state level who will spend some of their uh, time voting and drafting up bills that will uh, support victims um, and just the criminal justice system in general to make it less punitive and more transformative. Absolutely, I love it. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to share today um, that you feel like is important for listeners to hear before we wind down? So um, if you happen to be traveling through Burlington or if you are a Burlington resident and you happen to be watching and you are a victim of crime, please feel free to reach out. My email address is a Miller at burlingtonvt.gov. Um, my phone number is 802-557-7232. You can reach me directly, or you could always um, come to the Burlington Police Department. Um, there are people that are here to support you. You're not alone. Um, and victims' voices will always be heard. Awesome. Thank you so much. You obviously take your work very seriously because you are the first guest I've ever had who's given out their phone number. So <laughs> there's that. So Anthony means business people. Um, uh, where's a good place for people to get more information um, online? Would it be Burlington? It would be burlingtoncjc.org. Awesome. I know that site well. Um, <laughs> I happen to design that website, so. It's a very beautiful <laughs> website, by the way. Thank you, thank you. You were very helpful in that process. You actually, I think it's just kind of a nice aside. I just remember when we first met, like you really had a lot of questions and were so focused on making sure that this was very um, victim-centered in its functionality and its usability and all of these things. and. And I think that was um, something I was already learning about and working towards. And so it was really good. You really pushed me to that next level. Thank you. Because um, Anthony cares about making sure that victims can access services in all ways. And I think that's really awesome and important work. So thank you so much for being here today. Um, I always like to show close the show out with just like a short positive message if there's something you'd like to say um, to our listeners. Um, yeah, uh, like I said before, um, we're here. Um, we believe um, all victims um, and we just want people to know that you're not alone and that you never have to you know, deal with any of these things by yourself. So I, I really do hope that people who do watch this, even if it's not helpful for them to tell other people about it um, so we can continue to spread the word. And Absolutely. so we have people like you who can create a platform for us to have that. Thank you, it's so important. That's how we get we get our stories and message out there is just by coming together and amplifying voices. So it's, I love getting to do that. So thank you for being on here to let me share your voice um, with everyone. Um, thank you again, Anthony. And to all of our listeners, if you have any questions, you can always email me on at standupresources.com. That does it for this episode. Um, catch us next time on The Mend. Thank you so much and be well.